Good day to everyone and welcome to the February 2021 episode of the MDS podcast. Today we have Dr. Nicola Pavese of the Newcastle MRI and Pet Centers at Newcastle University to discuss his recent editorial in Movement Disorders Clinical Practice entitled Atypical Parkinsonian Syndromes and Subtypes of Parkinson's Disease. Will a single imaging modality ever be enough? Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah, for inviting me, and uh, uh, good morning, everyone. I'd first like to start by asking you to explain why it's important, both clinically and in research, to distinguish Parkinson's disease from atypical Parkinsonian syndromes and to distinguish Parkinson's disease motor subtypes, since we use many of the same medications and do not currently have disease-modifying therapies. Oh, I think it's very important. We all know that the progression and the prognosis of atypical Parkinsonism are much more severe than idiopathic Parkinson's disease. Therefore, I really believe that from a clinical point of view, the sooner we make the correct diagnosis, the better it is for both the patients and the, and the clinicians. For example, what I want to say that if knowing the correct diagnosis, uh, the clinician could immediately start a more focused disease-specific management for these conditions. For example, a multidisciplinary approach, which might mean to have a more intense physiotherapy approach, maybe the involvement very at the very early stage of a speech therapist, if these patients have speech problems or swallowing problems. And I also think that it's very important for the clinician to give the right information to the patients. It's also very important for the patients with the typical Parkinsonism because sometimes they can be very frustrated from the beginning if they're not responding to the medication for Parkinson's, they don't understand what's going on. Uh, so knowing the correct diagnosis, I think, is very important. And I see that every day in, in, the, um, in the clinical practice. It's also very important because uh, these conditions sometimes require readjustment in their lifestyle. There is consequences uh, for the future, so they want to make some a readjustment to think about the future. And I think that is also very important from the patient perspective. Nowadays, we also start seeing new, uh, modifica- new medication to modify the progression of these diseases. There are clinical trials for PSP patients, for MSA patients. So identifying these patients at a very, very early stage would be very important because they can be enrolled in these studies and possibly benefit uh, at a very early stage of these new um, new treatments. From a research point of view, it's also very important because we still don't know much about the pathology. We don't know the, the changes that occur in, in the brain, particularly very early stages. And this can be useful to identify a new target for therapy. It might be useful to identify even biomarkers uh, to follow up the progression of this disease and then help the development of disease-modifying agents. So it's very, very important. For example, a patient with uh, multiple system atrophy. It's now been shown that the cell-to-cell propagation of alpha-synuclein aggregate seems to be more prominent than in in Parkinson's, for example. So these patients could benefit from this uh, approach, and therefore it's very important. I think then the same thing applies for the for the sub subgroups, the, the subtypes of, of Parkinson's. For example, we know that the tremor subtype is generally more benign, so might require different um, medications, different therapeutic approaches. So I think that is also very important to to know. 
Absolutely. I would add to that. We're probably losing a lot of patients who might be eligible for clinical trials or pathophysiology trials because early on it can be difficult to differentiate these and those patients may not be so clear cut that we can enroll them. I agree. And it's also the other way around that sometimes we include these patients with a typical Parkinson's clinical trial for Parkinson's with medication that might not be appropriate. Uh, for example, alpha-synuclein antibodies or in patients with PSP. Uh, so it might somehow alter the, the results of these trials. So it's very important to identify these patients, in my opinion. Very good point. To clarify where we are now in terms of differentiating these, can you review how we currently use imaging in standard practice? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have much. We don't have any specific imaging modality which is very good at differentiating Parkinson's from uh, the other neurodegenerative Parkinsonisms. PET and SPECT, looking at the nagroscriatal pathway, are very useful in the clinical diagnosis of Parkinsonism, but unfortunately do not differentiate among the different, uh, the different type of Parkinsonism. Sometimes we see that a patient with a typical Parkinsonism could have a more um, severe involvement, homogeneous involvement of the, um, of the striatum, Sometimes the codate is more affected uh, in patients with a typical Parkinson from a very early stage. But again, this is not uh, always true. For example, we have uh, my team, Jacopo Pasquini and my team, we have recently published a study from the Parkinson Progression Market Initiative database. And we looked at uh, the codate involvement in early stage of, of Parkinson. And uh, we found that uh, within two years of disease onset, about 50% of patients already have an involvement of uh, codate, that in 20% is already bilateral. And the follow-up of these patients has told us that they didn't have uh, a typical Parkinson's. It was a, a classical idiopathic Parkinson's. So again, the involvement of codate uh, is not really a marker of atypical Parkinsonism. As to the MRI, there are conventional MRI is not very good at differentiate uh, Parkinson's from uh, from Parkinson's, particularly in, in the early stages. We know that when patients are more advanced, there are very typical features that can be used. And uh, recent meta-analysis uh, by Lee and colleagues that is reported in my editorial has um, performed a meta-analysis to look at the conventional MRIs. And indeed, they found that having uh, some specific uh, abnormalities can be specific of multiple system atrophy or PSP. Uh, but again, they were not really differentiating and not having these features not, not, does not really, uh, it's not really indicative of not having the disease. So having them is a, can confirm, but not having them, not necessarily rule out the, uh, that specific condition. So uh, unfortunately, they are not uh, very useful, can support the diagnosis, but not really be in the important point for the, uh, for the diagnosis. So at the moment, unfortunately, we don't have uh, much that uh, can help in the diagnosis. There are few techniques that uh, could be useful and promising, but still some work needs to be done on, uh, for these techniques. As you've explained, I definitely have experienced in my own practice that the patients for whom the diagnosis is uncertain because they're early enough and there may be a couple of features that are indicative of possible atypical Parkinsonian syndrome, but we're not sure, 
are usually they have normal MRIs. And so it doesn't help very much. The positive predictive value of these findings may be quite high if they're actually present, but usually they're not. And the negative predictive value is terrible. Indeed. Could you explain some of the newer and more advanced MRI techniques that are being explored to differentiate PD from atypical Parkinsonian syndromes? A lot of attention now is in the new uh, MRI sequences that are able to identify ion deposition in uh, in the brain. So look at the nigrosome, also the uh, neuromelanin sequences that are uh, they can look at the amount of neuromelanin, the content of melanin in the in the nigra. Also now the structures like in the locus cerulis and. They are very good at discriminating Parkinson from healthy control, but not necessarily able to differentiate Parkinson from other Parkinsonisms. There are some conflicting studies, probably related to the very small number of patients uh, included in these studies. Uh, another problem with these studies is the acquisition protocol that can be different from center to center. So uh, still, there is still some need to standardize this, uh, these techniques. One of interesting MRI technique is the Venobold uh, by Caturian that is described in, in the editorial. And they found a reasonably good uh, specificity and sensitivity for this um, technique. Another technique that I think is quite promising but uh, needs further investigation is the NODI uh, technique, uh, New Right Orientation uh, Dispersion and Density Imaging. There are some reports in Parkinson's that have shown that there are changes in the uh, neurite uh, microstructure in the substantia uh, nigra and in the putamen as well compared to the controls. In uh, Newcastle, I've received a grant from the uh, Multiple System Atrophy Trust in Parkinson UK to investigate this technique in uh, patients with multiple system atrophy and see if it's different compared to patients with Parkinson's and uh, the healthy control. And we're also investigating patients with REM-sleep behavior disorder. That is a prodromal stage of Parkinson and also multiple system atrophy. So hopefully we will be able to provide some uh, interesting finding in the near future. So it sounds like in general, these newer techniques either don't differentiate well between Parkinson's and atypical Parkinsonian syndromes, or we don't know if they do. They just differentiate between Parkinsonian disorders and healthy controls. I would like to be optimistic and say that we still don't know, and that we need to further investigate in larger courts of patients and we very standardized technique. So I really hope that we... Uh, we'd be able to find something. Your paper also discussed Parkinson's disease motor subtypes and ways in which imaging helps us to distinguish between them. Specifically, you mentioned that striatothalamocortical pathways appear to be more involved in non-tremor dominant subtypes, while the cerebellum and its projections demonstrate more severe dysfunction in tremor predominant patients, which makes quite a bit of sense. How do you think these types of discoveries will help us to better care for our patients? I think in in a world of uh, personalized medicine, it's very important uh, to understand very much the mechanisms and the physiopathology of uh, the different symptoms of Parkinson and, and Parkinsonism. So I think that is a very important exercise, although very often these uh, subtypes change over time. 
so it might be that it doesn't really apply for all the uh, time course of, of the disease. It could be important for the patients, as I mentioned before, because you can tell them, for example, that having tremulous form generally means having more benign progression of, of the disease. Uh, sometimes they have less symptoms on development of the, the symptoms. could also be important from the therapeutic point of view, particularly if we look at the field of deep brain stimulation. So we might be able to identify uh, some specific uh, circuits uh, that we can stimulate and, and then lead to an improvement of, of PREMA. So um, in, the, in the world of uh, personalized medicine, I think it can be very useful. Do you have any thoughts about how protein biomarker scans, such as for tau and alpha-synuclein, might fit into this picture in the future? Yeah, of course. Uh, I think that will be the uh, holy grail of neuroimaging. At the end of the day, we know that all these neurodegenerative diseases are related, uh, are caused by uh, aggregation of abnormal proteins. So if we manage to um, visualize this in a very early stage and during the progression of the disease, that will, I think would be a, f- a great development for, um, for imaging and for medicine in general. Think about, for example, alpha-synuclein. You would be able to, the very early stage, to, to find subjects at, at risk. Uh, you could understand better REM sleep behavior disorder, the genetic, uh, people who are carrying genetic mutations. Uh, it would be able to differentiate some of the alpha-synuclinopathies, like, for example, Parkinson, MSA, from tauopathies, uh, PSP, uh, CBD. So it would be very important. could also help understand how this um, protein aggregate um, over time. So confirming, for example, the, the BRAC um, staging and also could be very useful in assessing the progression of disease uh, with medication. Fortunately, one of the main problems, uh, as you know, of the development of disease-modifying treatment in Parkinson is that we don't have a reliable uh, biomarker to um, a surrogate marker of disease progression. So uh, we don't really know. Uh, we have to base ourselves on uh, clinical scales, and you know that uh, that's not ideal. Uh, due to the fact that the medications uh, have a symptomatic effect on, and to, could have a symptomatic effect on this, on, uh, that it reflects on these scales. So having a biomarker of disease progression is very important. And I think uh, alpha-synuclein traces and, and tau traces could really be changed the, the, the game. Unfortunately, at the moment, we don't have any alpha-synuclein tracer. Uh, it's quite challenging because of the nature of alpha-synuclein the distribution in the brain, the co-localization with other abnormal proteins, like, for example, amyloid, the fact that we don't know what's the, the, the form of um, the alpha-synuclein that is uh, causing damage, um, proved very difficult for, for a tracer. Uh, tau tracers tend to be better. Uh, the first generation one had some problems, but now there are uh, second generation and uh, more uh, newer uh, tracer. And there is hope that they will manage to be useful in the diagnosis of uh, tauopathy, particularly the uh, non-Alzheimer tauopathies. So I think that could help in in the future. Well, you actually sound quite optimistic about the increasing role of neuroimaging in differentiating all of these diseases with new MRI techniques and with protein biomarker scans. 
Do you really think that we're never going to get to the point where one imaging modality is going to give us the information we need to care for these patients? No, I don't think so. I mean, these diseases are very complex. And uh, uh, already we know that the different neurochemicals are involved. And we know that uh, all the patients are not the same. So I really think that we uh, we, we, we need a different uh, modality approach. And, I really, and, and that is the future of personalized medicine again. I think imaging will help us uh, to um, characterize patients. could be expensive because, as you know, imaging is not uh, the, the, the cheapest modality. But in the ideal world, uh, it could really very much change the, the treatment of individual uh, patients. You've brought up personalized medicine a couple of times, and of course that is the goal in medicine to move more and more towards that. I was going to ask you in terms of Parkinsonian conditions and Parkinson's disease subtypes, whether you're a lumper or a splitter. You know, some people believe that we're going to end up with so many different diagnoses at the end of the day that Parkinson's disease is really many different diseases. And it sounds like really your strategy is to go towards each individual as their own person with their own pathophysiology? I think at the same time, I'm a lumper and a splitter because I think that uh, we will understand the the common things between all these conditions. Probably they share uh, many things. So we will manage to find what they are sharing. But at the same time, we reflect what we see in in the clinical practice, that there is no patient who is similar to the other one. Uh, so uh, probably in that way, we will have a better uh, understanding of the, the, the details. So if you look at details, you, I'm probably a splitter. Uh, if you think at the diseases, uh, possibly they, I think they could be related to something in, in common. And in that in sense, I'm a, a lumper. Very insightful. I like that answer. Do you have anything else to add? No, thank you. All right. Thanks so much for being with us today. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Sarah. And bye, everyone.